Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Listen now for the word of God. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Of all the various stories about the resurrection appearances of Jesus on Easter day and the days following, this story of Jesus appearing to two of his followers on the road to Emmaus Sunday afternoon, Easter Sunday afternoon, is perhaps more than any of the other Easter accounts, our Easter story, yours and mine. This Easter story is understandable to us in a way that few others might be, it resonates strongly in our hearts and minds and souls because it is the one Easter story among all of them that seem to be most about us, about you and me. What do I mean by that? Well, I believe it is our Easter story most of all because this particular appearance of Jesus 
comes to two people who are not a part of what we would call the inner circle of disciples of Jesus. The two followers in this story are not a part of the remaining 11 disciples whom Jesus specifically called, named as his disciples, and called to follow him on the way. They are not the famous ones whose names are in the lists of disciples in each gospel account. They are not even a part of the inner circle of women or of the friends of Jesus whose names are familiar to us from the biblical stories of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. Mary, Jesus's mother, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Salome, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. In other words, these two followers on the road to Emmaus are not the famous ones, the ones we more or less expect to find following Jesus in his life and in his death, because Jesus called them and commanded them to do so. No, these two followers are more like us just ordinary folks who heard the message of Jesus, saw him and observed his life, witnessed his miraculous power to heal with his words and with his hands, recognized him as Messiah and Lord, and followed him along the way. They are you and me, just ordinary, everyday, unknown, unspectacular followers of a man named Jesus of Nazareth a man who changed them and their lives radically and forever. And then after changing their lives, after turning their worlds upside down, he died. They saw him die. They knew where others had laid his body in a borrowed tomb. And now here it was three days later and in spite of some wild reports by a few of the women, who claimed to have seen angels telling them that Jesus was alive again, they, these two followers, had not had such an experience. And as far as they knew, Jesus was still dead, and the world was beginning to turn once again in its familiar rounds. Life was returning to normal. It was back to business as usual. It was, after all, no longer the Sabbath, no longer the high holy days of Passover. The day of rest had ended. The holiday had passed. It was now the first day of the week. The peddlers were once again peddling their wares. The farmers had turned back to their plows. The money changers were once again at their tables in the temple courtyard. The chief priests and the scribes and the Roman authorities had won their small victory over this ragtag group of renegades led by Jesus himself. And so they were back about their business as usual as well. Life does go on after all. The miracles, it seemed, were over, and the routine, ordinary dullness of life had started again. And these two followers are like us in that way as well, of course. We know what it is like to live our lives in the groove of our familiar routine and of the daily grind. Work, home, family responsibilities, getting the meals on the table, making sure the children have done their homework, brushed their teeth, and gone to bed, doing the laundry, the dishes, the vacuuming, the dusting, feeding the pets, walking the dog, watching a bit of television, then going to bed to sleep for a few hours to refuel for the next day's familiar refrains. We are so much like these two anonymous followers of Jesus, like Cleopas and the other unnamed follower, 
we know what it is like to live in a world that so often seems to be stripped of miracle. We know what it is like to experience seasons when we carry a heavy burden of sadness and grief. We know what it is like to move through life in a state of doubt or confusion, to wonder if what we believe is real, if it is true enough and strong enough to sustain us in our times of need, to provide meaning for the routines of our daily life, and to bring healing to the brokenness of our lives and to the life of the world. We know the feeling of returning to normal routines in the life of the church as well in this season of Eastertide. Every year on Easter Sunday, our pews here at IPC are filled to overflowing at four services of worship as we witness together to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our sanctuary is even more beautiful than usual on Easter morning, if that is possible, with lilies in full bloom all around us and a giant lily cross and the chancel. Our music is even more glorious than usual with trumpet and timpani and the wonderful voices of our choir and congregation singing with joy and praise. We dress in our finery and come in droves to worship in this place. And then comes Monday, the Monday after Easter and the full week following, a week of work and committee meetings, a week when our lives return to the illnesses we face, the grief we bear, the family turmoil we struggle with on a daily basis, the world in which we live shows itself still to be besieged by war and poverty and hunger and need. And here in the church, on the Sundays following Easter morning as we continue to make our way through the 50 days of Eastertide, our pews may be just a bit less full, our flowers, while still beautiful, a bit less overwhelming, our music, while still exquisite, a bit less majestic. We, like those two followers on the road to Emmaus, have returned to our normal routines, and we, like them, are no longer sure what Easter might mean for the living of our daily lives, personally, in the church, or in the world. A town called Emmaus has never been identified on any map of ancient Israel, and two towns today claim the distinction of being the site for the original Emmaus. But even if the actual site of Emmaus can never be definitively identified, I have no doubt that Emmaus is a real place, a true place. We know Emmaus. We have walked the road to Emmaus many times in our own lives, the road of suffering, of pain, of grief, of doubt, of turmoil, of betrayal, of death. We know the road to Emmaus intimately, all of its twists and turns, its ruts and level places, because we have walked it probably more than once in our lives. When a marriage we have fought hard to save finally ends, or when our parents divorce and all we have ever understood about family seems to dissolve around us. When we make the long journey home to a suddenly emptier house and an emptier heart after a loved one dies, when our last child leaves home and we have to find a life apart from daily parenting, when we lose a job or when we retire and must learn to redefine ourselves apart from our work, 
When the doctor gives us or someone we love a difficult diagnosis and the future is suddenly uncertain. When we are swimming and feel as if we are drowning in financial debt. When we feel trapped in the routine of our work or our family responsibilities. Trapped by our own depression or addiction or self-doubt or our ancient grudges. In all of these times and more, we have walked the road to Emmaus. Several times over this past week, as I have reflected on this passage, I realize that I have been walking with some of you on a very real and present Emmaus Road. We have a new grief group that started meeting here at the church a couple of weeks ago, and so for the, for the past two weeks, I have been with nine of you on the stony, hard, long, and winding Emmaus Road of grief. Also this week, I sat with someone overwhelmed by sadness and stress and uncertainty about work and family turmoil, and we spent time on an Emmaus Road together. Every day our doorbell rings down on the ground floor and some of our neighbors in poverty experiencing homelessness or hunger come to us from their own Emmaus Roads looking for a glimmer of hope, of redemption, and the promise of resurrection and new life. Yes, we know the Emmaus Road well, all of us, at some time or another in our lives. And so these two anonymous, unremarkable, ordinary, grieving, confused followers of Jesus are especially familiar to many of us, plodding along, moving down the road that has been set before them, weary, uncertain about the future, and wondering if life can ever be filled with joy and wonder and miracle again. And then, he is there, pulling up alongside them, appearing suddenly in the midst of them, a stranger who walks quietly and companionably beside them on the way. From Psalm 23 to this Emmaus Road journey, scripture affirms that we have a God who will be our loyal, loving, steadfast, faithful companion when we journey through deep, dark valleys. On the Emmaus Road, those two followers do not recognize Jesus, not at first, and, they, and not for the many, many miles that they walk together on the road. And Jesus does not force himself on them. He waits for them to recognize him in their own good time. This is an astonishingly quiet resurrection appearance. No angels in white, no earthquake, no blazing light. As the writer Frederick Buechner has written, Jesus is apt to come into the very midst of life at its most real and inescapable not in a blaze of unearthly light, not in the midst of a sermon, not in the throes of some kind of religious daydream, but at supper time or walking along a road. This is the element that so many of the stories about Christ's return to life have in common. Mary waiting at the empty tomb and suddenly turning around to see someone standing there, someone she thought at first was the gardener. All the disciples except Thomas hiding out together in a locked room, and then his coming and standing in the midst of them. And later, when Thomas was there, his coming again and standing in the midst. 
Peter taking his boat back out after a night at sea, and there on the shore near a little fire of coals, a familiar figure asking, Children, have you any fish? These two previously unknown followers at Emmaus who knew him in the breaking of the bread. He never approached from on high, but always in the midst, in the midst of people, in the midst of real life, and the questions that real life asks. Jesus did not force the two followers on that weary road to recognize him. He did not identify himself to them. And this is another common characteristic of all of the Easter stories. Jesus does not identify himself immediately to his followers. He does not force himself on them. He simply appears and is quietly there with and among them and allows them the space and time to recognize him on their own and to offer him their love and their lives. And isn't that our experience of Jesus as well so often? Jesus, it seems to me, comes to us most often quietly as a companion on the journey of life and of faith, offering himself to us, allowing us the space and the time to recognize him on our own or not, and to offer him our love and our lives freely and willingly, or not. In our day and time, it seems he comes to us often in the guise of a stranger or a friend, hoping we will recognize him in the faces of those he puts in our path and love him. When I asked folks in my Bible study how Jesus came to them in their own Emmaus journeys this week, they said that most often Jesus comes in small and simple ways. A meal delivered at a time of need, a friend who calls just when we need to talk the most, a note offering sympathy in a time of grief or trouble, an offer to come over and spend an evening basking in the warm hospitality of friends or family members when life feels most broken, the assurance that prayers are being lifted for you when you need healing physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And of course, those of us who are a part of the church, a part of a family of faith, have friends in Christ on this journey with us as well. Members of this congregation who will be our companions when our journeys grow difficult, who will walk with us, stay with us, pray for us, uphold us, add their strength to ours, reminding us that God's last word is always redemption, resurrection, and new life, staying with us until we emerge from the darkness of the valley back into the light. Jesus comes to us in so many ways, quietly providing us with the love and companionship we need in our moments of pain or distress. We may not recognize him at first, because so often we see only the face of the human being who brings us food or invites us over or prays for us. But if we look closely in each of these faces, we will see Jesus as well, loving us through the ones he has sent to be our companions on the way. You see, the two followers on the road to Emmaus did not know their traveling companion was Jesus for a long time. Jesus was still dead as far as they were concerned, as were their hopes 
and dreams. And yet somewhere inside of them, they found the ability to be open to this stranger in their midst. They found the ability to listen to him as he interpreted the scriptures to them, to learn from him as he proclaimed the good news to them once again. They offered this stranger hospitality when they reached their destination, making sure he had lodging for the night and food to sustain him on his journey. And then, when they sat down at table with him to break bread, suddenly they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Only in hindsight were they aware that the stranger who walked beside them on the way was none other than their risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, though they knew that their hearts had burned within them throughout their journey together. It seems to me that Jesus still comes to us as the elusive stranger or friend or congregation member, just as he came to his followers on the road to Emmaus. Sometimes we are able to identify him before he gets away from us, but most often we only know him after he is gone. So often Jesus sends strangers, acquaintances, friends, family, and church community to be our companions on the Emmaus Road and to share the love of Christ and the hope of resurrection with us. And most of the time, it is only after they have come and gone that we know who they were. The men and women, the children in whose faces we find our risen Lord, the ones who are there walking beside us, trying to show Easter to us along our long and sometimes confusing and painful way. And sometimes, of course, Jesus asks us to be companions to others on their long, hard journeys down the Emmaus Road. Sometimes Jesus asks us to come alongside those who are experiencing grief, illness, doubt, family turmoil, job loss, addiction, depression, poverty, hunger, homelessness, whatever their Emmaus Road may be, and to share the love and grace, the peace and hope of Christ with them until they are able to recognize Jesus in their midst and begin to emerge from their darkness and see the light and new life of the promised resurrection. So the good news for us this Eastertide Sunday is this. Jesus, the risen Lord, comes to us, the ordinary, unspectacular, run-of-the-mill followers. He comes in the midst of our daily life struggles. He walks with us as a companion on our own Emmaus roads, and he promises us hope and new life, even in the midst of our pain and our brokenness, our grief and our doubt. And he gives us many opportunities to know him and to love him and to give our lives to him because he continues to come to us every day in many and various guises. He continues to offer us the bread of his body, the cup of his salvation, the amazing, surprising, steadfast love that sees us as we are, meets us wherever we are, and calls us beloved over and over again hoping that we will hear and believe that that is who we are in his eyes. Sometimes we recognize him and we love him well. Sometimes we do not know him and we fail him. Sometimes we are so overwhelmed by our own pain and grief that we cannot claim our identity as his beloved. We cannot see the hope of resurrection, at least at first. 
but he loves us so much that he comes to us again and again to offer us chances at new life, at love, at hope, at resurrection. As the great theologian Paul Tillich has written, here and there in the world, and now and then in ourselves, is a new creation. This side of glory, maybe that is the best we can hope for. It is a gift of God's love and grace. It is the gift of the risen Christ, and it is more than enough. In his presence, when we recognize him, as we walk down that road, surely we will feel our hearts burn within us and know that in his presence and through the promise of resurrection, we are forever changed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.